there, and welcome to City Break Ideas, episode 10. I'm Marion Jones, and just in case you're listening for the very first time, I thought I might briefly introduce City Breaks in general. I know that the City Break Ideas episodes do attract some new listeners. Not least because I'll be featuring three interesting travel websites in a few moments, and I know that some of the people who are interested in those will come and have a listen, just because they want to hear what I'm going to say about one of their fave travel websites. So then, City Breaks in general. I ought to say that City Break Ideas episodes are a now and then sort of occurrence. The main bulk of what we do would be a series on a city that's lovely to visit. We've done Florence, Munich, Paris, Seville. There are seven in total. And we work through all the main sites that you're likely to visit if you go there, trying to give you, we like to think anyway, all the history and culture that you would research for yourself if only you had the time. So if you are someone who likes to know all about a place that you visited or are going to visit or maybe even just might visit, please do consider having a look at our back catalogue and seeing if there's anything there that you might enjoy. I might just add that we're currently towards the beginning of the London series, which is actually going to have well over 20 episodes when it's finished, and we'll be snooping around the City of London, Buckingham Palace, Westminster, and lots of other of the top sites, meeting, oh, I don't know, Henry VIII, Shakespeare, Dr Johnson, Winston Churchill, explaining what they got up to in London, some of the things they said and wrote about it. But every now and then, along comes a different sort of episode, like the one we're doing today, City Break Ideas. And for today's offering, I've chosen three travel websites who all have lots of interesting things to say about cities, and I'm going to tell you all about them and pinch some of their ideas. I have asked permission to tell you a little bit about some of the cities that they've covered. I will be mentioning what else there is on their websites too. I don't think any of the three specialise in cities particularly, so I'll give you an idea of all the other stuff that you can find there too in case you occasionally travel, not on a city break, but on some other sort of gallivanting adventure. But before we get into that, I might just mention I've had some really nice messages over the last few weeks. Quite cheered me up, they have. So, for example, here's one from, I don't actually know how to pronounce his name, I do apologise. I think it might be Jamie Boucher, who goes under the tag of Bristolian Abroad, and was kind enough to write and say, I really enjoyed hearing your passion for travel, culture, city breaks and so much more. I thought you were incredibly knowledgeable and well-spoken. Well, how lovely. After that, I think it would sound arrogant to read out all the other messages I received, so I'll confine myself to just one more from an old friend of the podcast, Barry Till, who runs the TravelTheWorldClub.com, who got in touch recently to say that he's been loving the St. Petersburg episodes. He's been there himself. He loved it just as much as I did, he reckons, and what he enjoyed, he said, was the, I quote, glorious detail. Right, that's quite enough about me. Let's move on. Okay, so the first of the three websites that I've chosen today to feature is one called retirestyletravel.com. I will, by the way, put the links to all of the websites on the show notes that go out with the episode, so don't worry about trying to write things down. Okay, so retirestyle, we are told to the people who run the website, means, quote, living your best retirement lifestyle and retiring in style. Don't worry if that's a long way off for you, because what they actually do is lots of stuff about travel that actually you can sneak into whatever your age. Although if you are an older member of society, 
you might enjoy the sentence which says, You worked hard and you should enjoy the fruits of your labour after retirement. Well, yes, amen to that. And then to give an indication of some of the things they cover, how about this for a quote from the homepage? Do you love swimming and lounging on sunny beaches? Or do you like activities, nightlife and restaurants? Do you prefer arts, culture and history? Or long hikes in the mountains? Maybe you want it all. Truly a sentence, that last one, to defy the miseries of the pandemic era that we're all living through. Yes, yes, we do want it all, but we realise we can't have it just yet. Retire Style is run by a husband and wife team, Tina and Kevin, who tell me that their silver wedding was a year or two ago and that they're based in Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. Tina's a travel agent, so she knows what she's talking about. Kevin's a professional accountant, but both of them like writing and blogging and vlogging and generally travelling and then sharing what they've learnt with other people. They have a super impressive list on their website of the places they've been to, lots and lots of places in Canada and America, and some venturing out across the pond to all sorts of other places, Italy for example. But I thought, well, let's pick their brains on the thing that they really are best at talking about authoritatively, and that's their home city of Winnipeg, because there is on their website a large selection of posts about Winnipeg, and I'm going to pick just a couple to tell you a little more about. I hope you'll be interested to hear about Winnipeg itself, but I hope too that you'll pick up the approach that they use and be inspired to go off to their website and look at all the other stuff that's on there that I don't have time to mention today. Okay, so the first post I picked was one called Things to do in Winnipeg's Historic Exchange District. And first, they helpfully explain what the Exchange District actually is a national historic site with 150-plus protected heritage buildings dating from between 1880 and 1920. It feels, says the comment, quote, that you have stepped back in time and are walking the streets from that era. Lots of tips on what to do when you get there. A focal point, they say, is the Old Market Square, a place where you're very likely to find something happening. Festivals, free concerts, craft markets, they're all held there. The concerts sound quite fun. Here's another quote. Old Market Square has a cool, futuristic, industrial-looking stage called The Cube. We've watched free shows presented by the Winnipeg Jazz Festival, Winnipeg Comedy Festival, Winnipeg Fringe Festival, and many more on that stage. And then the post goes on to give you lots and lots of detail about good places to shop, to eat, to drink. And as you browse it, you really do think, yep, a day down there, be something I'd enjoy. So that's one post. And then the other post I wanted to mention, again, only one of many that are on there, is one called Top Three Things to Do in the French Quarter of Winnipeg. Those of you who are regular listeners may remember that I'm actually a French teacher when I'm not podcasting or talking to myself, as my family like to call it. And I've long had Montreal on my radar. I haven't been there yet, haven't in fact been to Canada at all but I'm very intrigued by the idea of somewhere with a French atmosphere so far away from actual France. But I have to confess, I did not know that Winnipeg had a French quarter, so I was very interested to hear all about it. 50,000 francophones, apparently. In fact, the largest francophone community in Western Canada, somewhere where you can speak some French while you're going about your shopping and your dining and your visiting. OK, so what is there to see there? Well, the lovely St Boniface Cathedral for a start, 
lots of shops and streets and restaurants with a French flavour to them, and particularly if you go in February, something to enjoy would be the Festival du Voyageur, Canada's largest winter festival. Think outdoor activities, think events and concerts and so on. There's a nice description of inside the festival grounds, where we're told we can find snow sculptures, really quite amazing ones. There are some good photos by artists from around the world. There's a frozen wall of ice if you want to go ice climbing. There's an outdoor snow bar where almost everything is made of ice and facilities for you to go tubing or off in a horse-drawn sleigh. And if you're taking a child or in fact are a big kid at heart yourself, how about this for an idea? Quote, One of the coolest things for kids to do there is to pour hot maple syrup onto the snow and then roll it round a popsicle stick for a sweet treat. The events and concerts at a stage have a bit of a French flavour, French language folk music, for example, lots of fiddling, lots of jigging, some of them offered for free around the cathedral, St Boniface, others in the Fort Gibraltar area where you will have to pay to get in. Fort Gibraltar, if you're wondering, was originally a fur trading post, dating from the very beginning of the 19th century, but these days it's more an area to visit, somewhere where you can see actors dressed up as characters, for example, showing you what life was like in the early 19th century. So there then, a couple of ideas of things to do in the French Quarter. There are lots more. Have a look at the website to find them. There are walks, a museum, a cultural centre, lots of stuff on what to eat and where to eat it. I haven't done full justice to all the posts on Winnipeg. There are lots more on different districts. And I haven't mentioned at all all the other places covered on their website. So just as, for instance, Las Vegas. You can read posts there on how to have a really good breakfast in Las Vegas or what must-see shows there are, where to go if what you want is a few thrills or a happy hour. There are quite a lot of posts on cruising and there are a few going back to the basics of the website on advice for people planning to retire. But I absolutely wouldn't say that this isn't a website for everybody. It certainly is. They post on other social media channels as well. They have, for example, some films on YouTube. You can watch things like Things to Do in Montreal and not just hear about, but also see some of the things to do there, such as visiting the Botanical Gardens, going to the Notre Dame Basilica, shopping and eating again, of course, in old Montreal. I did rather like the shots of that, which did look very French, with the French road signs and red cafe awnings and even some close-ups of moule frites and other delicacies. So there you have it then, retirestyletravel.com. Moving on to a completely different website, perrytrails.wordpress.com, run by David Booth Perry, who announces himself in four words, blogger, writer, wanderer, gay. I really enjoyed browsing this website for a number of reasons. Firstly, the range of destinations, many and varied. Secondly, the photos were great. And thirdly, I really liked the writing. He has a way of summing something up really pithily and entertainingly in a way that makes you just want to go and have a look. The posts are not massively long. A typical one would be maybe six to eight hundred words with half a dozen well-chosen picks. But you're soon drawn into the writing. As an example, here he is writing about the arrival of the spring flowers in New York City one year. I think it was 2016. Quote, There is something bordering on ethereal walking down a Manhattan side street when the pear trees are beginning to shed their petals. It's almost like that unicorn scene in Legend, where you think it's snowing, 
but really it's a tsunami of blossom and an off-stage wind machine. Anyway, it's a great effect and adds a little pastoral tranquility to the urban landscape. Isn't that nicely put? David's a New Yorker, I think, and so if it's interesting details about New York you're after, this is the place to find them. He tells us, for instance, that the city is, quote, spangled with little parks and playgrounds that give neighbourhoods a seasonal facelift. And he goes on to list some of the tiny green spaces where you can take a breather in New York City, such as the wonderfully named Hell's Kitchen Park on 49th Street and 10th Avenue. There's a wide range of posts on places as varied as America, the Far East, South Africa, Morocco. There are posts on gay travel issues and a whole lot more. But I decided to pick out two that focus on cities which I haven't covered before. The first one's in good old UK, the city of York, in fact. A city many people, well, Brits anyway, think of as being famous for its chocolate. Yes, it really is the place where the Yorkie bars come from. But the more culturally minded will tell you that what it's really interesting for is its history. As David Perry put it himself, when I came out of the train station, the history was, well, there which I find a very nice way of explaining that, yes, it's all around you in York City Centre. He provides a very short but rather useful overview of all the people who fought over the city of York over the ages, Romans, Anglo-Saxons, Vikings, Normans, the English, etc. And he says that among medieval cities, York really is, quote, a standout. You can go to the Shambles, a tiny little street which was first built in the 1300s, You can go, of course, to York Minster Cathedral. You can learn all about the Viking history in the city by going to the Jorvik Viking Centre. And they also have an annual Viking festival. David Perry seemed a little bit, what is the word, perhaps amused by that. His description of the festival reads as follows. It's when lawyers, librarians and accountants trade in their tweeds for helms, shields, swords and a heaping helping of built-up aggro. I think the phrase is historical reenactment. He's also quite amusing on the idea of evenings out in York. Quote, I hope you like your nightlife dead. And that's because once the sun goes down, all the ghost tours hit the streets in what is hailed as the most haunted city in the UK. The ghosts of yesteryear are a huge business in York. And even as the pub crawlers start their prowling, York's pub scene is very much alive. So do costumed storytellers regaling visitors with lurid tales of ghouls, phantasms and other eerie goings-on. So there you have then in just a page or two all the main things you need to know if you're considering a visit to York. And the title of another post that caught my eye was A Day in Zagreb. I don't think that City Breaks has been to Croatia yet, so here's our chance. And right there in the opening paragraph was a sentence which attracted me, because we are told that, also unexpected to David himself, I think, Zagreb turned out to be, in his view, quote, a mini-me of Paris. Again, regular listeners will know that I'll always be game for a visit to Paris, and if I can't be in Paris, then to be somewhere that's a mini-me of Paris is probably the next best thing. And the flavour of this post is quite well captured in a sentence which reads, I had less than 24 hours in the city. It was me, my camera, and a race against time. Again, in a few hundred words, I think about six or seven hundred, and five well-chosen photographs, you learn a thing or two, and you get an idea of whether Zagreb is somewhere that you would like to visit. 
So, things I learnt include the fact that the city was put firmly on the map in the 1800s when the Orient Express was routed through it. I think that was Paris to Istanbul via Venice, and, as it turns out, also via Zagreb. I learnt that Zagreb was originally two different cities, called Kaptol and one possibly pronounced as Gradec, and more entertainingly, and possibly predictably, the fact that these two cities hated each other, were always fighting, and the bridge between them, I think there must have been one each side of the river, is known as the Bloody Bridge. We're even given the Croat for that. An unpronounceable phrase, it's got most in it, M-O-S-T, which I believe is Russian for bridge, so the other word must mean bloody, and it's called in its own language, and do forgive the pronunciation if you happen to know what it really should be, and I'm murdering it, but I think it's called Krivavi Most. I found out that there's a medieval nucleus to the town, and around that, wide boulevards leading out, very much in the French style. The cathedral in Zagreb is the tallest building in the whole of Croatia, and Croatia, if you didn't know this already, is famous for its wines. All good things to learn, but as I was saying previously, what I really liked about this website was the wording of the posts. So, for example, here's David on the fact that the part where the two sides fought each other has been very much spruced up now. This is what he writes. What had been the flashpoint of a completely self-made and pointless conflict is now the schmoozy, touchy-feely, super-fun night street of Zagreb. Go to one of the cantinas, get a glass of Slivovica, the local firewater, and raise a toast to irony. Again, apologies if the Croatian firewater has been misnamed in a pronunciation error, but hats off to the writing. I think everyone should raise a toast to irony every now and then. So, if you're liking the sound of that, do check out perrytrails.wordpress.com. Again, I'll put the address at the end of the post, and you might too want to look at his Instagram, perrytrails. And that brings me then to the third travel website I want to focus on this week, one called travelcultura.com. The cultura bit being like culture, but with an A on the end instead of an E. Again, the address will follow at the end. And it opens, at least the About Me section does, with the wording, My name's Anna, and I'm a travel enthusiast and blogger from Russia. Ooh, Russia, I thought. As many of you will know, I loved my trip to St. Petersburg. Russia's definitely, definitely on my list of places I want to go back to, and so this is the website I was really keen to have a look at. Anna describes it as being a blog for those who plan to visit Russia. I hope, she says, it will help you to make your Russian trip more fascinating and to get the most out of your visit. There are some general sections for planning your trip, all about visas and insurance and what time of year to go and what not. There are some general posts on things like food and souvenirs and where to see the best ice skating shows. And then there are two massive sections on the cities you're most likely to want to visit, I'm guessing, St. Petersburg and Moscow. In the St. Petersburg section, Anna says, I live in St. Petersburg and I like a lot this wonderful city. Day by day, I explore St. Petersburg and share my discoveries, not only well-known attractions, but also the secret sides of the city. And yes, there are lots of posts there with headings like 35 awesome things to do, or posts on the Hermitage, or on smaller museums, such as the Museum of Theatre and Music. There's one on a guide to markets in St. Petersburg, for instance. But I decided not to talk so much about those today, but to focus instead on the other main section, which is on Moscow. 
City Breaks hasn't yet been to Moscow. City Breaks is very keen to go to Moscow, and so I had a good rummage around to see what I could learn. Here then are the opening lines. Certainly everyone will name the Kremlin, Red Square and the Bolshoi Theatre. Those are surely the must-see places. But what else? Let's discover iconic places to visit and things to do in Moscow. There's a list then of the sort of people who are going to enjoy visiting Moscow. If you're interested in ancient Russian culture and history, then yep, you should certainly go to the Kremlin and the Red Square. There are sections on Russian architecture, focusing on something I'm coming back to, a massive museum park, which goes under the intriguing acronym of VDNKH. More about that in a minute. And also tells you all about some of the Moscow metro stations, which, as you might know, are examples of architectural extravagance, to say the least. There are posts on some of the city's fine art museums, stuff on cultural events and things like the Bolshoi Theatre, and even ideas for getting out into the fresh air, visiting an area called Sparrow Hills. And then the section ends with some more unusual things to do in Moscow. So, my main message would be, go and have a look, have a browse, have a rummage, but I've picked out a couple of extracts to just talk about in a little bit more detail to whet your appetite. So, starting with a big hitter, Red Square. And immediately, I learnt something. Here's how Anna introduces it. In fact, Red Square in Moscow is not just a simple square. There are so many awesome places to discover in that area that you can easily spend a whole day exploring only Red Square. And then I immediately learnt something else, a little bit of Russian in fact, which I am probably now going to mispronounce. This comes from one of Anna's Did You Know sections, which you can find here and there all over the website. So this one says, quote, In Russia, Red Square is called Krasnaya Square. I hope that's right. The Russian word Krasnaya has two meanings. The first meaning reflects the main colour of the square, red. Many buildings in Red Square are made of red bricks. And the second meaning of Krasnaya is beautiful. So we can also call Red Square the beautiful square. And then the post goes on to detail some of the must-see places on Red Square, talking, for example, about St Basil's Cathedral, where, as Anna says, the colourful domes and intricate towers will make you gasp in admiration and clutch at your camera. But she takes us too to the GUM, at least I think that's what it's called. I think probably G-U-M is an acronym for something Russian that I don't know. And it's the name of Moscow's main department store. The most expensive, the most picturesque. You should go there just to look round, she says. Explore the architecture, take a few photos, and don't forget to pause and try their very famous ice cream. There's mention too of the State Historical Museum, also in Red Square one of Russia's largest history museums, where you can follow the development of Russian art, look at collections of things which used to belong to various Russian Tsars, etc, etc. I picked out then something that I thought would be less well-known to mention as well, but as soon as I started reading about it, I realised it's probably only me that hasn't heard of it. Anyway, it's the VDNKH, described as the largest exhibition, museum and cultural complex in the world and as one of the most popular sites in Moscow. The unpronounceable acronym stand for the Russian words which mean Exhibition of Achievements of National Economy. It would be truly excruciating if I tried to pronounce those four very complex, very Russian-looking words, so I'm going to spare you that. Anyway, says Anna, for her, the main reason to go there 
would be to see examples of Soviet architecture of all different styles. So Art Deco, Stalin's Empire style, Soviet modernism, it's all there. And the main thing about it seems to be that absolutely everything is enormous, huge, colossal, gigantic. For example, she says, the famous statue worker and Kolkhoz woman, which is almost 25 metres high and is seen as, quote, an ideal symbol of the Soviet era. It's a massive park. If you wander around, there are pavilions and exhibition centres and fountains, a spaceship here and there, the odd forest, pond, alley, etc. Really somewhere to immerse yourself in Russia and its history and its culture, including exhibits from some of the former republics of the USSR, Belarus, for example. There's masses, masses more on Moscow, and the section ends with a series of links that will be useful to follow if you're trying to organise some rather different activities in the city. You could, for example, book a nighttime tour of Moscow, or find out how to enjoy a river cruise on a yacht. A bit more unusually, there's a site one of the links takes you to where you can organise to go and have a traditional Russian dinner with local hosts. You'd be invited to their home, you could try some Russian dishes and take part in another totally unpronounceable activity, which translates into English as a Russian-style tea-drinking ceremony. There's information too about how to get tickets for the Golden Ring Moscow Folk Show, one of Russia's oldest dance shows, which will put on a complete performance of dance and songs from different regions of Russia. There are lots more posts on Moscow, taking you in-depth, for example, into St Basil's Cathedral, to various palaces, a more detailed one on the gum department store, and lots of information about where to stay, and what and where to eat, and so on. Travel Kultura, then. Definitely a website for use if you're going to Russia, and one to browse if you have the slightest inkling that one day you might like to do that. Both for the practical details it offers, and for the insights into Russia and its culture and its history, all things that it would be good to know if you were going, or actually just from a general knowledge perspective. OK, so that's it for today. Do get in touch if you have any way in which you'd like to contribute to a City Break Ideas episode. Perhaps just by sending an idea for a city that you've enjoyed visiting or would love to visit, with a few lines of why that is. like to feature a few of those every now and then. Or, of course, if you do actually run a travel website and would like us to feature you, have a good look at what you're doing, and then talk about it in a future episode, do get in touch. There are three ways to do that. You could go on to our website and leave a comment on the blog www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk You can email us citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at citybreakscast. I'm hoping to have a City Break Ideas episode every few weeks, perhaps once a month or so, but next week we're back to the main business, episode 5 of the London series, one in which we're going to Westminster. Westminster Abbey, in fact, That gets an episode all to itself because there's so much history and so many stories to tell you. And then after that, we'll be doing a little bit more on Westminster, a snoop round the Houses of Parliament, for example, before then an episode to wander up Whitehall along to Trafalgar Square, another one taking us round Buckingham Palace and to the Royal Mews next door. We must meet the horses that are such a feature of royal events in London and of which the Queen is said to be so fond and so on and so forth. I think there are going to be 26 episodes in all. I do hope you'll join us. Thank you very much for listening today, and for the moment then, goodbye.